Hello, and welcome back to episode three of the Joyful Exiles podcast. My name's Tyler. I'm Cheyenne. I'm Jess. And in the finale of this series on joy for the world, um, we will be discussing the last three chapters in the book. Um, These chapters cover uh, work and economy, citizenship and community, and finally, sex and family. We'll be going over those chapters individually and then also um, ending the segment with what we're going to be taken away from and actually being able to apply it to our own lives. And Cheyenne, I was wondering if you could give like a quick overview of what this final part is going over. Yeah, so in this section, uh, Greg Forster is writing about the social structures in society, so family, work, the economy, citizenship etc. And he talks about how it's important that we kind of understand the social structures that are inherent in human life because in a way it's what sets us apart from animals. Um, We're both moral and rational beings so we can think we can think about the way we live and ask questions and try to improve things um, and we can set up institutions such as um, civilizations. But he says there's two errors to avoid when we're thinking about these social structures. The first one is thinking that they're just arbitrary constructs so we can change social um, structures in any way that we want. You know, we can define family in any way that we want um, and so forth. But the other error is thinking that social structures are just mechanical forces um, such as like Marxism that we can't really change. It's just it's kind of a force beyond our ability to influence. Um, So both of those are errors. The truth is that um, although certain aspects of social structures are set up by God and defined by God, they're also, we do have some level of influence in shaping them and we need to be uh, intentionally shaping them through our Christian worldview. So yeah, the three uh, segments of this podcast, like Tyler said, will be work in the economy, which he's going to be talking about, and then citizenship and community, which I'll be talking about, and then Jess will be talking about sex and family. So over to you, Tyler. All right, so to begin with, with the chapter on work and economy and the economy, um, just a a quick general overview. We live in a 21st century capitalist America that really sees work as the... The element that like determines what we are and what we're worth. Um, you know, if we have more money than someone else, it's because we worked harder, or because we were more suited to have a higher-paying job, and you know, therefore we're better than someone. Um, another misconception is that you know we val- our value and our identity is in our possessions and not necessarily our income. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, you see so many people having nicer phones, nicer cars, but really they owe like fifty to hundred thousand dollars in debt. Um, and so what they see is their value is in what they own, even if they truly don't own it. It's all about the appearance. Um, that kind of plays into you know how much you make, and you know wanted to sell that lie of you know you've made it, um, and that if we gain more and more money than we're going to be able to enjoy quote-unquote fruits in this world. And what I mean by fruits is, you know, um, you know, nicer things, um, you know, clothes, uh, 
cars, all that such. When really what Forrester ends up getting into is that true biblical righteous work is fruitful, but not in that way. Um, Forster defines work as more than just being our place of employment, of employment. He says it is everything we do to serve others and to make the world a better place. Um, so in light of the whole biblical worldview, work, in a sense, is not just you know our career path. It's not what necessarily brings in income. Work can be... Um, you know, helping out at a local community center it could be aiding one's neighbor. It could be, um, you know, simply making food for your kids um, or anyone else. You know, really is work is this idea of being a servant and being a steward and placing our true faith and measuring our real wealth by how much love there is with other people um, and so he kind of talks about like the real fruit that comes from our righteous work is this you know this greater and greater sense that what we own is not truly ours everything we own quote unquote quote unquote own is really the Lord's and it's ours to steward and to use effectively to help other people um, we're not really saying that Having a lot of money is wrong. Um, if anything, it's a means and a greater responsibility to help more people um, if you can. But, um, you know, the, like I said again, the true wealth is the love they have for other people as someone who has found love in Christ. Um, Forster also defines. Um, he kind of used this term authentically productive work um, that it creates value for other people instead of extracting value from others and you know we can see that there is good work even in a position or a career that we may not think so like a, a plumber in a sense that's not something that you know it's not like a kid's dream it's not very glamorous in society but it, you know, it is going along with that sense of toiling that's mentioned in, in Genesis. You know, we have to manage our resources well. And, you know, being a plumber, it helps other people out managing their, their toilets. and mm-hmm. Still uh, contributing to yeah, society. Yeah, yeah, they contribute to society. And, you know, they help people out greatly because really no one knows how to do that. Um, <laughs> Not I. <laughs> yeah, so, like, our vocations, this is from Forrester, our vocations are connected to the common good. Um, and as Christians, we have a responsibility to be on the lookout for if our work is actually ethical and if it's actually providing real value and aid to others or providing a, you know, a righteous or an actual serviceable good to someone instead of uh, you know, capitalizing on someone's misfortune, you know, whether it's raising prices on pharmaceuticals exponentially to people that can't uh, afford it just because you have the, you know, the only product, that's not what we consider to be right. Um, but yeah, so that's basically what uh, Forrester is getting at with 
in regards to work in the economy is that we have to actually create value for other people instead of um, extracting things from them. Yeah, I really like um, that idea of creating value and and the idea of vocation. I was listening to a talk by Tim Keller, and he was talking about work, and he said that we often think of our work as something that's, like, primarily to fulfill ourselves, and we try to, like, look for kind of self-actualization in our work. But he said, like, vocation is actually something that we're called into by someone, like, by God. So our work is, if it's vocation, it's something we're doing for someone else. So that kind of made me, like, rethink how I think about my work, Mm -hmm. especially the work that I'm doing that doesn't feel fulfilling right now, but it can still contribute to something good. That's so true. I feel like I'm reading that quote right now that you wrote, and I'm like, I feel like when we think about our jobs, our work, we're like, how, what job can I have that'll fulfill me and give me purpose? But we never think of our jobs as like, this is the assignment the Lord's giving me to serve Mm -hmm. the kingdom. And I feel like just seeing it higher that way, because you're not going to always want to do the work that you're doing. You're not always going to feel happy or like you want to be there. But if you know like this is the Lord's assignment for you to serve his people and serve the kingdom and help build up the kingdom, like that's just, that puts it on a different level. Mm-hmm. That's good. It puts a perspective for me too. Yeah, so I'm going to jump in right away and talk about citizenship and community. Um, and I appreciate that Forster doesn't like get to politics right away in this book. It's not like his primary, it's not what he sees as the primary way that Christians engage with culture. Um, but it is still important, and so kind of asking questions of, like, what does it mean to be a citizen and to build community? And he says, he kind of boils politics and citizenship down to a question of justice, and he says that there's two kinds of justice, so there's a complete and ultimate justice that's only enforced by God, Um, But then there's also natural justice, which is just doing right to other people, basically. Um, And that one is enforced by humans. So that would include what he says is respecting the rights of others and participating constructively in society. Um, So I think I talked about this in earlier episodes, but my background is Mennonite, and our churches don't really uh, encourage political involvement, like as far as voting and stuff because of being, I guess, theology of being citizens of a different kingdom. Um, But I think more and more Anabaptists are kind of, or Mennonites are kind of coming to a point of recognizing that, like, there needs to be a healthy place for involvement in, in our communities as citizens, even if it's not voting, or if it is voting, but it needs to be more than that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And Colossians 1, 19 to 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And I came across a quote by a pastor uh, last year when I was writing a paper on this, and he said that that verse means that what is happening on the stage of cosmic and human history has meaning. He says, God is at work in and through concrete societal and cultural realities. Um, because God is reconciling all things to himself, not only in the church, but also in the world. So 
Forster says that politics is fundamentally about justice, and he says that our most important task in political life is to build moral consensus, because we can't really have a democracy if there's no common moral ground, like if there's no place of agreement. Um, so we're not trying to enforce our Christianity or our beliefs on everybody, but there is that natural justice that we're trying to build. Um, so he says that we have to find ways to participate in the social order that witness theological justice without enforcing it and build moral consensus to support the enforcement of natural justice. So to be honest, some of this is a little bit like over my head, but it was helpful to just kind of think through like the concept of natural justice and how we can, um, how governments can and do enforce that and how we can like work toward that. So, I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts on that? It, so, the, when he initially said that politics is fundamentally about justice, I first didn't fully resonate or fully agree with that because hmm. when I think about politics, I also think about, you know, the president and managing like economies and yeah. you know the the workforce and all that and I didn't think that when I, when I think about justice I think you know about like you know social justice and while I'm not saying that like that's wrong I also I'm saying that like my view of politics may have been broader than that but really when you think about um, you know the the economy and you know you're trying to, to manage it right and create the most opportunity for work there is an element of justice to yeah. that like providing opportunity for everyone not you know necessarily creating creating the same equity for everyone but making sure that everyone has that level of opportunity opportunity so i do think that now i've come to realize that that is um, an element of justice within within politics yeah, thank you. All right, so we'll dive into the sex and family um, portion of things. Um, so when I was like reading, I'm not going to lie, like I just felt like this urge from the Holy Spirit to just like share some truth um, about, about sex, like some things that I <laughs> wish I knew um, and what I feel like a lot of people don't know. Um, as far as, like, the narrative on sex, I really feel like we've allowed the world to run it. Um, you know, they let us see how relationships work um, and how sex really goes with, you know, one-night one night stands and multiple relationships. And I feel like because of what we see in media, then the church has, like, created shame around it because the world has perverted it. So now there's shame and now there's fear. We want to like hinder people or shield people from, you know, talks about sex and things like that because of how the world has perverted it to nature. And it's like we've, we've lost like the beauty and the purity that sex really is. That's what we should be talking about. Um, but I feel like because of like the per perversion um, that the world has put on this beautiful thing, like it's just caused, si caused silence and we have not, you know, share the mind of Christ on the matter. Um, and a lot of people don't know 
um, the mind of Christ about sex because, or we, they don't know the mind of Christ on the matter beyond just don't have sex before marriage. And I feel like as a church, um, we have a responsibility to really dig into that because this is something that so easily entangles so many. Um, that's something Paul talks about so much is like flee from youthful lust, like flee from sexual immorality. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that has been drilled into us to run from, but it's like, why should we run from it? Like, what's really the truth on the matter? Um, so I decided to, you know, dig in a little bit. So some science for you. <laughs> Sorry if you hate science. Um, when we have sex, right, there's a, there's a hormone that's released called oxytocin, right? Oxytocin. Sorry if I mispronounced. And what happens is it's the hormone that signals closeness and belonging, um, and it's the same chemical that's released when a mother looks at her newborn baby for the first time. Um, that, that closeness, that, that bond um, that's really not intended to break. Um, like, have you ever like, seen, like, even on TV, like a mother lose her child? Like the tears, you know, like just that, the breaking of that bond is so severe and it's so painful. Mm -hmm. And that's the same bond we create in sex, hmm. right? So when we're... When you're having sex, right, like, your, your brain is literally creating a bond that it has no intention to break. Yeah. Right? We're literally, like, exchanging pieces of ourselves with this other person. And that's beautiful, and that's special in marriage, right? When somebody has vowed to stay with you, when you're committed to each other, what sex really is, it's like the physical manifestation of that commitment. And that's beautiful, and that's so pure, and that's so special. But what happens when you're having sex with multiple people. You're out here exchanging parts of your soul with tons of people. You're creating all these bonds with people that have no intention on staying with you. That's a lot of pain. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of damage. Um, so it makes sense why this is only supposed to be something that's shared in marriage. That's why God says what, what God joins together, let no man separate. That's why it's not God's intention that we get divorced um, because we are just creating this bond that has literally not supposed to be broken according to mm -hmm. our brains. Like, that's, like, the science. Um, but, like, we've let the world sell us lies, right? Like, sex has been um, reduced to only providing pleasure and, in some cases, power, right? That it's a pastime, that it's, what else have I heard? That it's just physical and you can do it and not feel anything. And that's just not true you know what I mean like people are chasing one night stands you know they meet somebody and you go home and do whatever and you wake up the next morning and you don't remember the person you know or half remember how you got there and it's like we've just let like the world has just completely skewed our views on these things and they've really just sold us lies um and they've let us think that it won't affect us and it doesn't cause any damage and we've all paid dearly for that um so what the lord was just speaking to me about i'll just reiterate it like you maybe you're not doing one night stands but like if you're dating somebody you know that's cool you might be like oh well this person loves me and this person is committed to me yeah but like it's half-hearted commitment because the ultimate form of commitment is marriage so you're giving mm -hmm. you're having sex with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and what you're committing is a physical manifestation of the deepest commitment, but with not the same commitment like in relationship. You know what I'm saying? I hope I'm making sense. 
So it's like half-hearted commitment, but with the most intimate connection um, that only marriage deserves. And that's not, that's not it. That doesn't make sense. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, I don't know. The Lord was just speaking to me on that matter. Um, and I feel like, and I just know personally so many people, like, who are walking around, like, with just so much, like, pain from this. Like, I have friends who are like, I can't get over this guy. I can't get over this guy. And it's like, yeah, because you created a bond with them that your brain can't break. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It literally takes the power of God. <laughs> um, so it's just really not something to play with. Um, granted, like, sex is not bad, right? Like, sex is beautiful, and it's sacred, and it's valuable, and therefore we should protect that. And, you know, our bodies aren't shameful, you know, like they're beautiful and sacred and holy and therefore should be protected and cherished. Um, so I feel like we've allowed shame to creep in and uh, fear around things to keep in and we've been silent about it. Um, and we've kind of, we ourselves at the church have like tainted our view um, and the narrative on this as well. And I feel like we have a duty to restore the beauty and the purity and the value that it deserves. Um, and really share the Lord's heart on the matter. Like, the Lord wants to protect us. You know what I'm saying? Like, when we go around and cheapen sex, right, like, it causes so much damage, and it's not to keep us from having a good time. You know what I'm saying? It's really to protect our hearts and protect our minds. Um, but that's not what the enemy tells us, right? He tells us that we're missing out, right, and that there's something out there in that. He's been doing that since the beginning of time, that the Lord is keeping us away from things. Um, but no, like the Lord is trying to protect something that he made that's beautiful. Um, and I just feel like we have a responsibility to restore the beauty and the narrative that we tell as well. And that should mm -hmm. be communicated in our churches, um, to the kids we mentor and disciple, to our families. Because too many people have paid for our silence on the matter. So, yeah. That's yeah. Good. That was a lot of good. good. Good words. I think it's sad how, like, marriage is marriage is so beautiful and it's such a good design, but it's been so despised in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so true. I've seen it, what you kind of described with, you know, with your friends. Like, I've seen it in some of the people that I know very personally, like, uh, you know, a guy going through that stuff when, you know, he was like 19 or 20 and mm -hmm. the relationship ended. Mm -hmm. And um, my word, it took him so long to get over it. Never, you know, he's saying he's never gonna, you know, find someone that, you know, he wants to be with ever again. A year mm -hmm. later, you know, he found someone that's good. Mm -hmm. But there really is that, I think, was in the church, you know, for teens that are that's not really talked about that actual physical and spiritual connection and also yeah. mm -hmm. that you know what Forrester kind of mentioned is that our like our sexual desires for someone they're really trying to reach a spiritual need mm -hmm. that we yeah. have yeah um, you yeah. know and it could be like we're trying to find um, comfort or, or value mm -hmm. um, things that you can find in Jesus, in Jesus. Um, and there are ways to define that in a, in a righteous and biblical way mm -hmm. but you know your heart is idolizing that comfort and that respect and that value but you're 
seeking it through worldly means, you know, those temporary mm-hmm. means that you think are actually meaning it because, you know, it is a very intimate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, it will just end up hurting you more and more in the long run. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Should we move into the application segment? Yeah. Sure. Do you want to talk about work? Yeah. Um, so really, what I'll be kind of one main uh, takeaway from this chapter is when you know Forrester was talking about war, our work should be authentically productive. He repeats this a lot. Um, you know, we should be creating real value for people in our work instead of extracting value and taking advantage of of others um, yeah that's that's my main application from this yeah I think my main takeaway from the citizenship thing is um, like our engagement with politics is so much more than just voting um, Forster's thing is that we're supposed to build moral consensus and witness to theological justice. So we're witness to God's justice, but then we're also trying to build a moral foundation for natural justice. So I think our neighbors should be able to see in our lives a reflection of God's justice, that ultimate righteousness. Um, But then we should also be looking for ways to get involved in our community and um, serving people for the sake of of natural justice, serving the poor, fighting for the rights of those who are oppressed, um, and so forth. And I think I think we just need to have a bigger, uh, broader view of what it looks like to be engaged as citizens in our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as for me, um, just again, like remembering, like the the value and um, the beauty that sex is and how sacred it really is and it's not something to really play around with or to take lightly. Um, Mm. But that's, I was thinking, like, that's why we, like, fight for our purity and we create boundaries while we date and, you know, we avoid pornography and masturbation and premarital sex. It's really just a, it's a cheap, like, knockoff version of the gift that God has given us. Um, like it under delivers, like you were saying, it doesn't provide the intimacy and the closeness and the belonging that we think it will. Um, all that's found in Jesus and everything else beyond that really is just like a cheap version. Um, but also like for our families as well, like so many families have suffered because of the silence on this matter. You know, I, like, I think I've mentioned this before in a previous, uh, podcast episode, like, all this stuff I did not know (laughs) um, as a kid or as a teenager, and many people don't either. And what I've been thinking about the last few days or a few weeks, really, about how we pass things down to generations. Like, there are things that me and you and you deal with that maybe your great-grandpa dealt with or your Mm great-grandmother dealt with. Oh, for sure. And it was passed down to every generation, and now it's hit me and you. Yeah. And... Our obedience isn't just about our lives. It's about our lines beyond us. Um, So I fight for my healing now. I fight for my purity now because my kids depend on me. 
um, my grandkids depend on me. Like when you, even just beyond sex, when you think of things that run in families, like alcoholism or abuse or ga a gambling or even like anger, right? Like those things get passed down. And we used to say, oh, those things run in my family. But when it hits us, when we're tempted with it, are we going to decide that it stops with us? Mm -hmm. Are we just going to pass the buck down to our sons and to our daughters and to our grandkids? Um, and that's the lie the enemy has sold us, that our sin is just about us and it just affects us. But it doesn't. Um, you know, the generations depend on us. And the enemy has torn apart so many families, Christian families. Um, and it's really on us. We bear a burden to bring healing to a lot of our families. And it's funny, I'm dealing with a lot of mess in mine right now. <laughs> um, and there's a part of me that just wants to let things kind of burn. But I have some responsibility in my family's healing. Um, and healing for my family to come, my line, you know. So that's just something we don't think about often. Um, but it's just something that the Lord has burdened me with. Um, so yeah, let's consider our the generations that come after us when we wrestle with these things. Mm -hmm. It's heavy. So yeah, thank you. Thanks. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for our series on joy for the world. Um, thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yep. Yes. Bye.